here we are back in the lab. Got Double M back in the building. You're just telling us it's been almost a year since we had our theonomy debate. <laughs> hey, um, what's up, Cole? People who Good don't know here. us may may think that we're enemies or something. <laughs> we're actually uh, best friends. We, we have been known to be friends. Yeah. <laughs> hey, by the way, I met the guys from Dover who were out with you guys uh, in Fayetteville a few weeks ago. Great people from Dover. What, what were their names? Uh, one guy's Randall. name is uh, Corey. Coy. Uh, Corey. Coy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Coy. No, 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 no. Coy. It wasn't Coy. Don't be coy. <laughs> Wasn't that? Are you making fun of me, or is there a guy named Coy out there? There's a guy named Coy. Oh, yes. I thought you were just K O Y. I thought you were just making fun of the way but I Corey? said Corey. Corey. What was his last name? He probably doesn't want it. <laughs> Shared on podcast, anyways. I don't, I don't remember his last name. Okay. You provide his address. But what? they were. I could provide their church. <laughs> I can provide their Where church. did uh? They were from uh, Christ Church. Uh, it's either Christ Church or Christ Fellowship. And then an older guy, too. Yeah, big beard, red beard, kind of reddish beard. That's that's, uh, that's Randall. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then, then there was a third Don, guy from the church. Don, who's like 60s. No. He, I mean, I maybe he was I from think, their church. Yeah, he's not Dover like, anyways. He's Russellville, so, yeah. Where'd yeah. you meet him at? Uh, Pastors Conference last week Yeah, Harold's. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, those are our brothers. Like when you do work anyway, like that yeah. with men, that it's like I barely know anything of you, of your you know private life, but we're brothers. Yeah, it's like when we first did it with um Johnny. First time we met, we did this ministry. Like, dude, we're brothers. <laughs> and Matt even like hosted him. He spent the night with him just a few weeks after that or something. So, yeah, one of the guys came over and. We got to hash it out and just do like a recap and yeah i totally agree whenever you labor side by side really in any ministry but particularly that kind of um in hostile under yeah, hostile um just situations that are full of conflict it, it really does help you to lock arms mm-hmm. better than normal right just this spiritual unity and and i don't hype this up. I don't want to hype this up too much, but when you go out there and there's this like simmering level of danger and you're looking out for one another, it's almost like this instinctual trait of, um, you know, this guy is a part of my family. I got to protect him. I'm looking out for him. He's looking out for me. It's like when two dudes are hanging out together and they're, you know, hanging out in public and they're got each other's <laughs> back. It's like, you know, it's what, but you get my drift, but on a, in a spiritual sense, this is beyond just physical protection. This is like spiritual work that we're doing. This is it forms a brotherhood in that case. So, um, yeah, yeah, they they spoke very highly of you guys because they were we just met. It was like, oh, well, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from Grace Bible Church in Conway, and they were like, their eyes lit up. Like, dude, I've never seen you in my life. Who are you? <laughs> 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 their eyes lit up. They're like. Man, do you know, uh, do you know Matt and Cole and uh, he named a couple of the other guys that were up there. I'm like, yeah. How do you know them? They're like, uh, how did they get connected with you guys? I don't know. A lot of the different churches that ended up showing up were it was just an organic connection that I don't. The word just spread. Just word Somebody spread, told yeah. somebody else, yeah. and 
I think they just Quattro, kind of kept on I going. I think Nelson may have connected them somehow. Yeah, somehow and we, we have a few seminary guys up in Fayetteville too that I think had some cross connections, and it was yeah, great. I was I really excited. Yeah, but I, I don't think with I don't think with the Dover guys. I don't think. I think the Dover yeah. guys came from Quattro's connections. Yeah, yeah. that uh, spider web formed there. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I realized just kind of observing that dynamic was that if you just kind of provide the catalyst to get guys going and provide a little bit of structure and organization, people are going to flock to it. I think yeah. there's enough men out there that are wanting yeah. to do this kind of ministry. And but they they're just, not going to be showing up alone. They, they can't show up alone. Yeah. Few people can. There's not many yeah. people that can do stuff alone, yeah. especially yeah. in an intimidating environment like that. But whenever you just provide really the context for, for brotherhood, right? You say, Hey, there's, there's guys that are going out there doing this. Um, I think there's, there's an, a, a hunger there for sure. I, I'll be honest. I wouldn't, have, I would not go there alone. No, yeah. neither would I. Yeah. <laughs> None of us there's would. No I mean, way. that would be, yeah. It'd be almost, be foolish. Uh, yeah, I was about to say foolish. I would not suggest that for sure. Um, now there's always the Ray comforts in the world who, the Lord protects and He's preserves. always got his video guy. Yeah. He's, well, he's that too. Like, See, he's, he's not even. Do, does he do pride stuff? Does he? I don't know. In situations like this? I, I doubt he would. I doubt yeah. he, He's more like um, go to sidewalk. the. Sidewalk. Yeah, yeah. Sidewalk where people are walking by just you know, naturally. Whereas this stuff is more arranged, of course. Yeah, it's a totally, totally different ball game when yeah. you've got the active hostility. Hey, I was thinking about. Um, I was listening to a sermon the other day, and uh, I was thinking about that text um, that Paul instructs Timothy, um, preach the word in season and out of season. And just like everything else, people have different interpretations of that. My interpretation is that a preach when the gospel is popular and welcome and preach when it's not. So preach when... Uh, your word will be received and then preach also when it's going to be rejected. Like it's in, it, okay, this is a season for the gospel, but now it's not the season for the gospel. Not in the sense that the gospel doesn't bear fruit. It's not like there's a season where it bears fruit and then where it doesn't, mm. but it's talking about season of popularity, like almost uh, Paul's not using this language, but it's almost like a fashion season. It's just like, well, it's not, it's not the season for that anymore we've moved on to this or we've moved on to, we've moved on to that. Um, uh, uh, that's the sense. And I thought it, it struck me while I was listening, while I was listening to it, it was just like, no, this is, uh, th- those sorts of evangelistic gospel ministries, Paul would definitely approve of because mm. he doesn't just say, go preach where the word's going to be warmly welcomed and received, go preach where it's also out of season. Yeah, <laughs> like whether it's in season, whether it's out of season, don't matter. Go preach. Yeah, well, it's interesting, and I won't say too much more to divert us away from maybe where we're going. But uh, I was thinking about Genesis nine, obviously talking about Noah, and um, Peter talks about Noah um, in one of his epistles, and he, he leaves a little comment uh, saying something to the effect of that he was a preacher of righteousness. And I think yeah. that's interesting, and I haven't really dug yeah. into that too much. But, I mean, you have to you have to wonder if he spent a significant amount of his time in his generation before the ark preaching and warning of the coming judgment. Well, that's, and, and look how effective yeah. it was yeah. from a human perspective. Yeah, yeah. Nobody was converted. Well, that's the a, that's a sense we get. Okay, well, let me introduce it. 
uh, switch, uh, switching gears on the podcast a little bit. Not really switching gears, honestly. Uh, but we're usually reading books about Christianity or from Christians. Today we're actually going to read the Bible. Um, Spurgeon has a great quote um, to um, visit many good books but live in the Bible. There's no more classic work for the classic cast than the actual scriptures. Uh, so we're going to take a few weeks. Uh, the Bible, just quick introduction, is uh, divided up into different genres of books. And so you've got the law or the Pentateuch, and you've got uh, historical books and wisdom literature and uh, the uh, writings or prophets in the Old Testament, and then you've got gospels and epistles in the New Testament. So what we're doing over the next few weeks is picking um, one um, uh, passage of Scripture, one chapter out of each of those areas through the Word. And so we're going to spend a few weeks just discussing the Word, but we're, it's the same format. So today, um, as Matt mentioned, we're reading Genesis 9. We're going to discuss Genesis 9. Uh, and then we'll figure out what we're, what we're doing next week. <laughs> uh, but, uh, back to your point, uh, that's kind of a dry introduction to what we're doing, but it's cause we already got into it. So, sorry, maybe uh, I, no, that's, no, that's perfect. No, no, that's, per- that's, that's actually perfect. That's yeah. what we need. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, back to your point that that's a sense of just the story of Noah and the scriptures is that the whole time he's building the ark. No one's taking him seriously. Mm. <laughs> it's that he's a he's a prophet of coming judgment, and even just him building the ark is a a, a sermon or or a preaching righteousness in itself. It's like, hey, the Lord's coming to judge. Yeah, but no one took him seriously. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine the ridicule he would have received over the years and years of building an ark to prepare for something that had never happened up yeah. to that point? <laughs> Well, and, and what are you talking about? Make... This sky water? I've never seen sky water. Yeah. <laughs> this man is saying that water will fall from the sky. <laughs> it's kind of um, uh, it's similar to our day. I mean, we kind of look look back on that, and it is hilarious in that in that sense. Uh, but people do that today. I mean, I think of guys like on. Um, uh, I'm barely into like a recent episode of Joe Rogan where. Um, uh, Christian scientist, uh, what's his name? Stephen Meyer. Stephen Meyer. Steven, yeah. Yeah. I'm barely into that episode, but it's kind of this, it's kind of the, um, it's kind of the same, uh, sense is the, oh, uh, Noah's building this ark. And it's not just that, uh, wait, you're saying there's coming judgment, but it's that sense. It's just like, wait, water's going to fall from the sky and, um, we just haven't had that, or you know, we haven't experienced this. We haven't experienced a flood. We haven't experienced an abundance of water. What is this guy? He's cra- it's crazy talk. Like that's that's far fetched. It's just way too out of here. So it's also a ridicule of just intellect, or or um, it, it's like uh, first uh, first Corinthians would say it's foolishness. First Corinthians one, it, it's foolishness before men. And that's exactly what, no, that's what Peter's referring to. And, and as Noah is a preacher of, a preacher of, does he a preacher of righteousness or a preacher of judgment? Some translations say preacher of righteousness. I think the ESV is herald of righteousness, but similar concept. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Street preacher of righteousness, if you want to call it that. <laughs> this is what a herald is. Yeah. They, they didn't have streets, but well, that's all right. True. True. But uh, if you think of, uh, I, so I, my interpretation is in development for this passage I'm about to mention, First Peter 3. But if you have a certain interpretation of First Peter Wait, 3. First Peter 3, you're talking about? Christ made uh, alive in the spirit. I'll oh, just I read th- it. I thought you were talking about uh, husbands living with their wives and understanding. <laughs> oh, still, he's dropping bombs now. You're, you're still yeah. in interpretation. I'm, interpre- that. I'm still developing my interpretation there. Uh, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, again, there's a few different major interpretations of that. But if let's say you have one where someone believes that's Christ made in the spirit through Noah proclaiming the gospel, then you could say, um, and this is not a far-fetched interpretation, Christ himself proclaiming the gospel in the spirit through Noah, and only eight people were saved. Mm. The eight people That's that God had elected. And so um, to your point, to go down the avenue that you, um, even further of what you brought up earlier, um, people often say, well, why even do it if they don't want to hear it and or in, in connecting it with what you just mentioned about being in season and out of season. I mean, the gospel at that place is out of season. They're not ready for it. The The ground is not fertile. They're hardened, da-da-da-da-da, prideful. Um, wait to come across them on your own terms. Like God's method is usually not that way, usually not the way of sending a prophet to a people who are ready and ripe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can think of Nineveh. They seem to be pretty ripe for the gospel. Uh, but Ezekiel, I'm sending you to a people who are not going to listen. Mm-hmm. And I'm giving you a hard forehead because they're not going to listen. Isaiah, we we love to that wear the shirt the, that says. That was for the bricks that they were going to throw out. Yeah. <laughs> a hard forehead. Yeah. <laughs> need to take it on the chin. Um, people love to wear the shirts that says, send me, I'll go. Isaiah chapter 6. But they don't read the rest of that chapter where it says, these people are not going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. They're not going to hear you. They're they're rebellious and stubborn, and they're, they've become like their idols. And so the quick answer um, to why do you preach to people who you know are not going to listen? Well, God has usually sent men to preach to them. I mean, let's direct it back to Genesis chapter 9 and the person of Noah yeah. who had he, – he, he saw no conversions in his time uh, outside of his family, of course. So that kind of defeats the um, defeats the quote that Spurgeon had of, if you don't see any conversions in your life, you're probably not called to the ministry. Well, Noah must yeah. not have been called to the ministry then. Cause I, I was wondering, wondered about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but here we have it. Um, uh, Spurgeon said it, bro. Got to be right. Yeah, it has to be right. <laughs> Got to be right. We're Baptists. Spurgeon has to be correct in this. <laughs> I mean, uh, I can understand a sense in which that would be true. Right. If you're not seeing fruit from your preaching ministry in the context of the church, then maybe you're not called. But or if you have probably no a different context yeah. on the streets, yeah, yeah. If you have no desire to preach to the lost, we could definitely say you're most likely yeah, not called to the right. ministry. 
Right. Um, but talk about a success rate of evangelism. A man who only saw his family saved. And that was by the grace of God. Yeah. Uh, because you see, they survived the floodwaters, but some of them probably did not survive the wrath waters of God. Probably not saved, all of them. Um, but man. Yeah, in, the, in, this very, uh, in this very chapter, someone kind of take a turn. Yeah. In chapter 9, so. Because the seed of the serpent still survived the floods as well. Yeah. So th- through at least one of those eight individuals. It, expo- explain that. Explain that more. Um, not to get in too much, but you, um, in biblical theology terms, you have the seed of the serpent and then the seed of the woman, which brings us to Genesis chapter 3, where the Lord promises, by your seed, uh, the seed of the woman shall be victory, essentially what we call the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel message. So how were people saved? They were saved by the faith and the promise of the seed of the woman. But just as you have the seed of the woman, you also have the seed of the serpent. So just as the woman produces uh, offsprings, which will result in the one offspring, that is Christ, the serpent also produced offsprings, that is, you know, um, his people that would remain to try to stamp out and destroy the seed of the woman. So, prime example, Cain and Abel. You see the clear um, seed paths there, seed of the serpent versus seed of the woman. Um, but not to go down that too far, because that could be an entire episode on on its own. I'll yeah. throw a lie past to you guys, like, let you take this off by kind of giving a little bit more of an intro to Genesis chapter 9 and just saying in my own personal terms, talk about a text that is... 100% perpendicular to our culture now. Mm. Rainbows, multiplication of children, mm. capital punishment. Um, kind of the caption that I gave to this um, episode we were having and announcing this on our social media pages is, think about this, Genesis chapter 9. In Genesis chapter 9, you have um, God's rainbow, Versus the agenda's rainbow. You have childbearing versus abortion. You have capital punishment versus pseudo-moralism. What I mean by pseudo-moralism... Golly, you were trying to get those retweets on that one. (laughs) (laughs) No, not trying to get the retweets, but I'm... I'm yeah. trying to clearly articulate where we're going to be talking you about. You were this. you were testing the you were testing the wa- the waters of free speech Twitter is what you were doing yeah. with that one. Yeah, seeing how rigid it was. <laughs> you're saying you're saying, hey, let's see if this is let's see what this is the if this is a real deal or not. Yeah. So far I'm not <laughs> imprisoned in Twitter. You're on Twitter? Uh I am, yes. Sorry, totally. Just <laughs> No, no, no. No, I am. I'm not, so I'm not either. But just to do you give a quick um meaning of what I mean by pseudo moralism, then I'll pass the ball to you guys. This moralism we find in Christian circles that thinks it's too moral for the uh for capital punishment. Mm. That capital punishment is immoral and unrighteous. Uh, but yet we have God establishing God Himself establishing capital punishment in Genesis chapter 9. But now you have this pro-life, it's really, a, ironically, a pro-life choi- uh, pro-life push uh, to do away with the death penalty. Well, we're pro-life. We want to see people live, da 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 da, da. 
Um, us in the room here not being pro-life doesn't mean we're not that that, that we're pro-choice. We'd be abolitionists, which is different from just pro-life. But uh, so yes, the capital punishment versus pseudo moralism. I've done enough talking. You guys take it away. What do we have in Genesis chapter nine that we should see? Yeah, I mean, something that stood out to me as I was just uh, reflecting on the chapter was kind of like what you were saying, just the antithesis between what you see here in Scripture and what we see all around us in culture and the relevance of um, this Old Testament covenant to today. Couldn't couldn't be more right. striking, couldn't be more, right. more relevant. One thing that stood out to me is um, you guys know being out at an abortion mill, just kind of going back to what you were saying about things all tying together, is that uh, I've never considered the relationship between um, the covenant that God establishes here with Noah in Genesis chapter 9 and the death penalty. Mm-hmm. So clearly, um, you know, widespread, popularized bloodshed was an issue before the flood. And um, well, what do we have today? Well, we have homosexuality celebrated through the, the representation of the rainbow. And then also, if you're at the abortion mill, child sacrifice, child murder. Um, so you even see those, those two connections here, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. See, to be clear, seeing the rainbow at the abortion mill. Seeing the rainbow at the abortion mills, yeah. So then What's you start, the relevance? It's not, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not just homosexuality. It's also, it's, it's co- also the yeah. murder of children. It's not yeah, a coincidence exactly. that that is, uh, that that's, uh, bedfellows in the same ideology. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. And our, it's, it's, uh, one of the biggest blasphemies to the Lord to use the rainbow for that, because here in Genesis chapter nine, you have the Lord, um, showing the sign of his covenant with culture, his covenant with the world, indiscriminately, not just believers, believers and unbelievers, his covenant with the world, and then also his ordinances as to how the culture should be guarded and restrained and protected. Um, yet you have the LGBTQ or the, the pagan religion using the rainbow as a sign for how they say um, the culture should be yeah. guarded and restrained and liberated and so on and so forth. So, yeah. By the sign of the rainbow, you have two different opposing religions. Yeah, that are at yeah that are at play. Yeah, yeah. And to be clear, um, the previous chapter, Genesis chapter eight, that's when he establishes the, the um, in the story. This is why we keep referencing the rainbows because that's the Genesis chapter eight is when he establishes that as a sign of his promise. Uh, uh, so just before, so Genesis eight twenty two. Uh, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So he's he's establishing that, okay, I'm going to uh, um, uh, preserve creation now. I'm not going to judge it in the same manner. And on that note, uh, the thing that's striking to me in this chapter is it's a continuation of uh, the covenant given with Adam and Eve. Uh, given uh, the covenant that God establishes with Adam in the garden. Um, I mean, we we hear the same language here. So God blessed Noah um, and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Okay, where have we heard that before? Well, we heard that uh, into Genesis chapter 1 and more thoroughly in Genesis chapter 2. So this is God not necessarily creating a a... Uh, 
a whole whole new covenant. Uh, this this isn't a whole wholly different covenant. But we see that there's key differences here because he's making he's reestablishing this covenant post fall, um, and post post fall in the garden, and now post flood, and uh, in his judgment of of humanity, and so. Um, but the, uh, but the creation mandate, if you will, still remains. And so he puts that upon Noah and his family, those he has uh, preserved, not, um, yeah, preserved on the earth. Um, and here's where there's distinction in the garden pre-fall, the first kind of note of distinction here in the garden pre-fall, uh, we see this harmonious relationship with, uh, man's dominion over the animals. But then here in Genesis chapter 9, in verse 2, it says, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Okay, so uh, uh, Moses still has dominion over the creatures in a similar way. Well, uh it's representative of all humanity. Uh, that that's similar to what we what we see in God's establishing of a covenant with Adam, but the language is different here. It doesn't talk about the dread that the and fear and dread that the animals will have, but post fall, that's exactly what <laughs> that's exactly what it is. And so you see this mirror covenant between uh, 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 God reestablishing it. Uh, with Noah after the flood, it, it strikingly similar and reminds us of the original covenant with with humanity that God made with our the first representative, our first father Adam, in the garden. So comparing and contrasting those two were, were is always striking to me when when reading Genesis chapter nine, and that's that's probably why we get the connection of uh, capital punishment here is because God's. God's setting additional terms, additional restraint and framing around sin uh, that wasn't required, it wasn't necessary pre-fall in the garden. So it's, it only makes sense that he adds these sorts of restraint on wickedness. Uh, because it's post-fall, and especially because it's post-flood, where the flood is essentially that, is a, strength, is a restraint on, on wickedness in the world. And it, it, I mean, it's hard for these words to come out of my mouth, but from the perspective of God, it, it was so bad, he had to wipe it out with a flood. It's like, okay, this isn't, the, the, um, we talk about a global reset. <laughs> talk about a global reset that, uh, what's that group that wants to talk about? Oh, um, you're talking about the Great Reset? Yeah, the w, Great, great, uh, yeah, the great, great yeah. Reset. I was like, this was the original OG Great Reset here. Shout out to Bill Gates. <laughs> uh, that's interesting, Danny. I was thinking also about this covenant, and uh, I guess you could say that I'm still kind of working on my understanding of the covenant of works in, uh, in Genesis uh, two, one or two, is it? Um, but I was just thinking about just, you know, kind of asking the question, why, why is the rainbow so significant today? Why this covenant? And I'd be interested to see what you guys think, but it seems to be one that this is a separate and distinct, unique covenant, uh, which I'm not saying that you guys would disagree with, but also, 
um, there are benefits promised to all of mankind just by virtue of being Noah's descendants. In other words, protection from a flood that you really don't see. I can't think of another covenant where unbelievers are are unilaterally promised blessing from God regardless of the way that they live before him. Normally there's there's a conditional. Obviously you have the gospel and the, the covenant of grace, but mm-hmm. that's a little bit different, obviously. Pres- I mean, what, what are you guys' thoughts about this? Presbyterians would say the Abrahamic covenant was also promised to unbelievers. <laughs> well, they were going, that's <laughs> totally different. Uh, hey, I'm trying that's to, what different to, direction. Trying to get the bagel. But no, that's. You, a, you brought the wrong guess for that one. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, yeah. I would agree with that. So Renahan, I, I just reviewed Renahan. Renahan's book on the covenants is a multiple read. It's it's worth reading more than once. Oh. Um, I, I read it twice and last night in reviewing it, I'm like, man, I want to read this book again. But he talks about the Noahic covenant and he says, yes, it, it is distinct from the covenant of works, but it was enacted so that the covenant of works would have basically the arena of possibility to be fulfilled. Because if you think about it, without the Noahic covenant of God promising cosmic peace, but also giving these commands to protect the culture, without those commands to protect the culture in this way, there's no longer any world to live in. There's no restraint. There's no government for the promised seed to be able to even come and fulfill the covenant of works talked about that more eloquently than what I'm paraphrasing, but uh, I thought it was good because uh, he brings out, again, the distinction, but also kind of the connection or the relationship between the covenant of works and this Noahic covenant. Sorry, my I just realized an error. The rainbows established in our chapter, right. which is what we're talking about, but it's, it's a promise saying that uh, what uh, the altar and what sacrifice is going to be fulfilled or kept in chapter eight. Yeah. It's five, it's 5 a.m., guys. <laughs> <laughs> cut me, cut me Danny's, some slack. Danny's, cut me some slack. Danny's pulling that Microsoft browser, or no, uh, Internet Explorer browser. Super slow. It's, it's coming up to oh. speed. It's coming up to speed. <laughs> um, yeah, but the significance of... of I got that dial-up going over here. <laughs> um so Abraham Kuyper writes a lot about the um, rainbow and the Noahic covenant because of the very point that you brought up, Matt, that it's, um, it's a covenant that is made with all. So it's not just like um, it just so happens that the unbelievers kind of get benefits from uh, the Noahic covenant. Because um, if you think the Mosaic covenant, there's benefits for the um, people, for the nation's around Israel in the Old Testament or even in the New Covenant, because there are churches and, and lands, unbelievers are benefited by those lands that they live in because the Christians are going to do good things in the culture. It's not that just that. It's like unbelievers are brought into covenant with God because they the very fact that they live in the world that God has created in this. Um as a Baptist, uh, since you mentioned that earlier, um, it, you know I'm I'm hesitant to uh, use uh, kind of grace language in 
in terms of the Old Testament covenant. But in a sense, in one sense, this is a covenant of common grace. Uh, and that's what we're talking about here. It's the same thing with the covenant made with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's where I'm connecting the parallels is because that, uh, that was a covenant with all of humanity, not a, uh, not with the church or the elect or um, those uh, who, are, who will be justified by faith, but with all of humanity. It's, this, is a, this is an umbrella, um, an umbrella covenant. For sure. So it's a so it's a common grace sin. It's not a the distinction I make between common grace and special grace. It's in a common grace sense in which it applies to everything that you guys have been saying applies to all. And um, uh, and and the main thing here is, uh, I would say the thrust of it though is God's mercy. Uh, is it, really God's mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it, this this covenant applies to all, but as we can see in our day, um, this covenant is only appreciated by believers. Which which is why we can make application. Um, it, it's right from the Christian perspective to make application to okay, uh, you know, maybe your brother doesn't believe in the Lord, or your sister doesn't believe in the Lord, or your coworker doesn't believe in the Lord, or. Uh, they don't believe in God at all. So they're like, well, you can't put your standard of of living or lifestyle, or you can't uh, def- you can't tell me what is actually good. Like that's subjective. And we're right to say, well, thus saith the Lord. And even they, even though they reject Him, we know, and deep down they know that they don't get to make up whatever the world is and what what makes the best sense or what's good, what's a good way to live in the world. We can look to uh, God's word here. God's the creator of the world. Uh, he probably knows how it should work. I mean, he, he didn't create the thing after all. Um, and we can look here and say, okay, um, uh, even if you're not going to follow the Lord, uh, okay, well, what, what, um, how do you live in this? How do you live in this world? Well, Genesis chapter nine makes makes sense, even outside of religious terms. It's like okay, uh, be fruitful, be fruitful, and multiply in a common grace sense, in a unbelieving sense. That's that's a good thing, even if someone's doing it not, not and not worshiping the Lord. It's like them raising families is a common grace. It's a it's a common blessing. Uh, to humanity, um, them restraining from uh, bloodshed and there there being punishment for it, there being restraint on that sin, is a good thing. So, uh, what we're talking about is like basic purpose in life, basic morals. These are a good thing. We know that those things come from the Lord, and but th- these are the very thing that in today everyone under the quote new rainbow is rejecting. They're rejecting being fruitful and multiplying, as what we see here. Uh, they're rejecting restraint on sin. Uh, they're, they're rejecting the very things that God has put forward. Uh, but even in it, like, that's the point of it being with humanity, though. It's like, okay, well, I know that you don't regard uh, the God of the universe as Lord. You may even reject him. 
But these things are like, uh, kind of the point I'm trying to make is that these things are like gravity. It's like you can try to deny them. You can try to reject them, but you're you're not going to be able to actually live life that way. Like it's, it's incredibly destructive. It's like trying to live as if gravity doesn't exist and you just, it just doesn't work. You just can't. Yeah. Because you're All living, because you're living in, in God's yeah, world. Yeah, unbelievers li- still live in God's world, whether they realize it or not. Amen. So the separation of church and state does not mean that we're separating God from state, because if you do, yeah. you no longer have state. Or true, or, or or, amen. That's the best way to put it. Another way to put it is truth from state or reality from state. Right. And we're we're just recognizing what I, what is actually going on here. Right. <laughs> so Renahan says this. Um, Matt, after I read this, I would like to hear, uh, if you're willing to share, some of your experiences. Because we're talking right now. If we were to bullet point this episode, one of the bullet points of what we're talking about right now is just the lack of appreciation for the Noahic Covenant, even though it's pervasive over all of the world. So how all of the world is kind of just not appreciating it. As Kuiper would say, the only people that really... um, do appreciate it and love the Noahic covenant is the church who understands this. And then later on, he calls the church to never forget um, the Noahic covenant. But when it comes to the culture, there's just like, now we're seeing just the total opposite. So I'd like, I'll, um, I'm going to read this quote and I'd like to hear a few um, instances you've seen how, or, or, or maybe even a case you would make as to how, not only do they not think about this, but they kind of go out of their way to make a religion using God's signs that is just utterly anti-God religion. Um, but Renahan, to your the points of what we're talking about, if he were to chime in, he would say this. In the Noahic Covenant, human societies, therefore, have two basic and related jobs. Number one, to preserve life, and number one or two, to preserve the family. Mankind is to be fruitful and multiply. Society, man looking out for man, should promote human fruitfulness and multiplication. And that multiplication takes place in the context of families. As a result, any society or government that corrupts the family or murders the innocent is a government in direct treason and disobedience to the God of the universe. Mm. They are abusing the sword and entrusted to... Uh, abusing the sword entrusted to them by turning it on the innocent rather than the guilty. Here's where he really drops a bomb, this this paragraph here. And there's not a poignant, convicting, and blatantly sinful example of this in our society than the active, government-funded, government-supported, legal status, pursuit, and protection of abortion. Is there anything more contrary to mankind's basic commission to be fruitful and multiply than to murder our own children and to protect that murder by the law? The promotion of abortion and the erosion and destruction of marriage through rampant divorce, homosexual unions, and all kinds of sexual perversion are high treachery and bold-faced rejection of the most basic duties of all mankind, according to the Noahic Covenant, ruling the kingdom of creation. Wow. Amen. Yeah, which, that's uh, what, a, what a quote. That's what, what is that? Uh, what, what's, which of his books is that? Uh, the Mystery of Christ. Okay, the one put out by founders? Yeah. Yeah. So, Matt, how have you seen this? Uh, 
as Renahan says, bold-faced rejection of God in the Noahic covenant in your experience of... Yeah, well, going back to the passage here, as you were, were reading that, um, I was reminded, just what it says here, like think in uh, verse 12, where it says, this is the sign of the covenant that I made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. I think that really at the heart of the whole movement is just one of the most demonic, blasphemous um, rejections of the rule and reign of God that has ever existed. I mean, you know, whenever we're constantly exposed to anything, we become numb to it. Mm -hmm. And so seeing what we see with the LGBTQ movement and the rainbow flag everywhere, we become numb to the reality that um, this movement has taken the symbol that God has given as a, to, to be understood as a blessing and, and perverted it to, to almost rub it in the face of God and say, look, God, remember your covenant, remember your covenant with us. And yet we're going to live wickedly before you and do everything that you told us not to do when that covenant was established. I really think it's a it fundamentally it's a worship thing. I think it's absolutely it's the that's where I was. It's the best example of spiritual warfare and demonic activity that has probably ever existed. Because people, I I don't, I I personally don't think that on the human level people realize what they're doing. That's what that was. They they don't realize the spiritual significance of, (laughs) like if they're achieving what they want to, but they don't realize how well they've blasphemed God. Right. Only right. only Satan or de, you know demons could assist mankind to blaspheme God this yeah. successfully. That that was going to be my question: is, is is this absolutely is about worship? But to what extent do they realize? The, does the average? Yeah, I don't think many uh, people do. The, the average, you know, flag flying uh, person realize it. Like, do I want to know? Did somebody come up? Like, why the rainbow flag? And did somebody intentionally come up with it? Yeah, it would be uh, interesting to come up with it to do a deep dive into that. Or, or have they adopted it out of uh, uh, ignorance? But we know that there's uh, the the evil one is behind this stuff. So we know it's no coincidence that the symbol is the rainbow. Yeah, uh, that that's that's the the symbol that they've chosen to use. Uh, we know it's no coincidence, but are they? Uh, um, it's are they aware of that? Was it intentional on in, in a human level or human element point, or was that? Uh, it's basically what you just said. Is there? We know that Satan is behind it, but how aware are they of that? Yeah, I mean, I would <laughs> say that they, yeah. most people are absolutely right. not aware, right? Because we live in a culture that is just feelings and emotion driven. Right, and so people get caught up in a movement, um, and people think that they feel gay or they feel trans or they, you know, whatever, and so they just go with it. It's yeah. your your feelings are your truth. So, um, I don't think most people who are involved in this movement are giving too much conceptual thought to what go, what's behind it. Yeah. Well, if you think well, about it's it, it's just too perfect. I mean, it's just yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It's just too I mean, it, it reminds me of like Acts chapter two, um, or maybe not Acts chapter two, but where, um. Uh, Acts chapter four, where uh, the the believers are praying, and um, 
they're praying about uh, the crucifixion of Christ that that God foreordained, and yet the, who who was it that crucified Christ? Well, it was the Jewish leaders. Yeah. They didn't know what they were involved in. And I even think that you're dealing with something similar here that people today do not realize the level of evil that they are involved in. Yeah, yeah. Because of how, we don't have to like do mental gymnastics to make this uh, a false religion that is completely opposed to God. Like everything that the Lord institutes here, uh, the other religion is completely the opposite of. It's so clear. Um, And you have two key elements of uh, false worship throughout human history. Uh, uh, Perverse sexual practices and child sacrifice. Right. I mean, bingo. Right. I mean, it's it's just... Look, look at Baal worship. You've got those two things. And, um, yeah, those, the, the people in the wilderness who ended up um, worshiping the golden calf committed a bunch of sexual immorality in that same act and later on would have kids who would then offer up their children to Molech. Mm. Boom, boom, boom. There you have it. Um, but you, you always have this anti-God religion throughout history. You think of the book of Revelation, you have the Trinity and the false Trinity. Um, and to the point of demon worship and deception, um, I don't remember all the details, but the beast gives the image, uh, the appearance of life by uh, unclean spirit, which causes the people to worship the image. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they intellectually came to this practice of worshiping the image. They were deceived in doing this by the beast um, and, and doing worshiping a false trinity, a, a false god. You have Christ and the Antichrist. You have uh, the man of law, which is Christ, and then the man of lawlessness, which exalts himself as if he is sitting, sitting on the throne of Christ. Uh, but man, yeah, uh, you have... And if you look at the rainbow... You can look at a person who is flaunting the rainbow, as you mentioned, flaunting it before the face of God, saying, look, I'm using your common grace that you've given me to blaspheme you. But you can look at them, and you you know what their system is. You can say, okay, I know what their views are on abortion. I know yeah. what their views are on socialism yeah. and work. I know what their views are clearly on marriage. Uh, I know what their views are on children. I know what their views are on Capital punishment, yep. um, because they are the ones who voted for laws such as what we find in San Francisco, where thieves should not be punished. Yeah, yeah, they're all confessional. Yeah, they, have you guys ever seen those uh, signs where it says like in this, you know, somebody will have it in their front yard and they'll say, "In this home, I believe that we believe that Black Lives Matter, that uh, abortion is health care, that you know," and it just lists. I, I'm yeah, blanking yeah. on all the different yeah, yeah. things that it it lists, but it really, it's like a confession of faith and you know that everybody believes that you can go to a pride parade and know not one person would dissent to any of this. Yeah. Love is love. Exactly. Yeah. So you're exactly right. Yeah. And if they, they're they're much more unified in their, in their, um, confession than man, some of us are as believers. And if they do dissent to any of those points, they're quickly educated and they must repent of those, uh, beliefs that they had and then come along to the confession. I can't think of anybody who I've ever seen that, that dissents on any major point. I mean, there's, it's so, they're so unified on these things. It really is amazing. Yeah. 
<clears throat> yeah, they they recognize there's an orthodoxy. Yeah. Uh, and you can't, uh, <clears throat> you know, you can't deny cardinal or pillar truths. You can't deny foundational convictions there. And they also <laughs> yeah, here, believe here. in a, a, a despotic power that determines and uh, restrains, in their view of the terms, human depravity, which is uh, why we they are all pro-mandate. They're mandatory vaccines, mandatory yeah. public school, mandatory this. Why? Well, because it's not let off, let, uh, left to the private choices of men because, in their view, men are depraved. Yeah, men are holding us back from our liberation, so we yeah. cannot let them choose their own thing. We have to choose for them, yeah. uh, which is why, yeah, which perpendicular to Christian religion, right. we would also say men are depraved, and that it's up to Christ the King. Yeah, well, every, every religion has to um, affirm some things and deny others, right? So, uh, if you affirm the four tenets of the LGBTQ movement, then you, by nature, have to be against anything that opposes it. Yeah. And uh, we as men are we're religious, and that's that's a religious element. You um, you guard and promote some things, and then you resist and um, militate against others. It's just part of human nature because we live in God's world. Yeah, everyone's religious. Uh, everyone worships. It's just a matter of uh, what are you actually what which God are you actually worshiping? Um, and by that. Um, and in that, there's only one true capital G God. But we're all we're all religious in nature. We're all worshiping. Yeah. But something you were saying earlier, Cole, uh, this is why uh, talking about um, them being in darkness, or they, you know, them. It's not that they're logically or rationally coming to uh, the conclusion of uh, of uh, idol worship, the conclusion of false religion. But you you describe them in darkness, and the, this is exactly why the preaching of the gospel and salvation in uh, Colossians one verse thirteen um, it talks about us being delivered from the power of darkness uh, and conveyed into the kingdom, or some translations say uh, placed into the kingdom of the Son of His love, <clears throat> in whom we have redemption through His blood. And forgiveness of sins. This is this is the thing that we're describing: is that um, in Christ we have been delivered from the power of darkness. That there, the the darkness really does have power, and that we've been transferred or placed. the The imagery there is actually picked up out of the darkness, out of the kingdom of darkness, and placed into the kingdom of uh, God's beloved Son, the kingdom of light. Uh, and we and we we needed that. The point is that we needed that. It was darkness. We couldn't find our own way out, but we needed to actually be rescued. We needed to be liberated from uh, the dark kingdom and brought into the light kingdom. Uh, uh, picked up and placed there is is the the imagery there, and it's because the darkness actually has power. Um, it actually has this this gripping hold, this gripping power. And so this is what um, this is what we do, and uh, what hopefully, Lord willing, our listeners are doing um, in in greater small ways. I mean, we talked about you guys 
going out to uh, the the pride parade and you can look at that as like a a a, a, gr- a great or big way of preaching the gospel um uh, but you've got as i mentioned earlier you've got family you've got coworkers that are that are uh, under the oppression of the kingdom of darkness and they're uh, serving false gods and serving uh, really the devil himself and they don't even realize it. Yeah. Matt, what's your take? Yeah, no, I, I think that um, Romans chapter 1 comes to mind and obviously anybody given given over to unbelief and hard-hearted rebellion has been given over um, you know, by God specifically, to their sin. But I think that in, in the LGBTQ movement, you do see a, a additional level of just giving over uh, by God uh, to a level of, of self-deception. What, what is the passage that says that, um, that uh, because they would not believe the truth, God caused them or allowed them to, to believe a lie? Uh, that, that maybe is a, a poor paraphrase. But um, yeah, the, just as if, you know, with, with any religion, you're dealing with serious levels of spiritual darkness. And, yeah. and um, yeah. you know, I think it's important to identify, as we were talking earlier, uh, the true evil of the LGBTQ religion, um, but at the same time, always working to cultivate uh, compassion and um, a, a tenderheartedness for people who are caught up in this because... Um, you know, if it were not for the grace of God, we would be as well. Amen. And, Amen. and um, the Spirit of God is, is powerful enough to overcome the hardest heart. These people are not too far gone, which is why we take the gospel to them. Um, because God, I, I believe God still has many that he's going to be saving out of this movement. So Amen. Yeah. We always have to have that. I think we, today, I think we need to hear more about the severity of this evil because most of us don't take it seriously enough. We're used to it. But well, I think we, I think we also, and it's, suppressed. And, it, and it's suppressed, but even, you know, among believers, even, even among us three guys, uh, we don't take it seriously enough because we're used to it. It's mm-hmm. just human nature. We become numb. Um, uh, here's, here's where I'm optimistic about that though, is mm-hmm. that the more, um, as the, uh, I'll just call it anti-rainbow ideology bears its fruit as uh, as it bears its fruit, it's not becoming more. Uh, I'm thinking. I think about like in 2015. I think it was 2015 when the Obergefell decision was made. Yeah, there was a uh, there was a societal tolerance. There truly was. I mean, they they wouldn't say there was, but there's a societal tolerance of that. Uh, you know, at least here. I mean, and and by here, I mean we live in Arkansas. If Arkansas has been tolerant with it, then then there's a national tolerance. I mean, we're come on. We're not we're not talking about New York or California here. I mean, it's Arkansas after all. But as it's bear born its fruit, there's been an increasing. I I I think that society used to be more um, kind of the effect you're talking about is just more numb to it. I think we're increasingly becoming less numb to it. As yeah, I would as agree. It and fruit. I think the yeah. transgender stuff. I think the. Uh, the grooming of children as uh, 
definitely contributed yeah. to that, which but, is a blessing. Yeah, and that's yeah. good. And not to part. We need to be not stirred to, up to, yeah, to more. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I'm looking at that as a positive, uh, a positive effect right now. Yeah. Um. Uh, well, I won't. Yeah. I mean, we could get. I don't want to parse this, but we could get into. Okay, there's a lot of people who just want to go back to 2015. Say, well, let's not do the trans stuff, but um, let's uh, still have the sexual uh, lewdness that you the, can put on TV yeah, and all yeah. that. Uh, you know, yeah. I want the sex, but without the bad sex. Yeah, <laughs> it's like <laughs> you can't get it that way. No, but yeah. let's go, let's go back to 2015 where we're tolerant of okay, if you wanna if you want to uh, have a homosexual quote unquote marriage or unions. Okay. Let's just, let's just, let's just revert back to that measure of, uh, kind of phase one. Yeah. Phase one LGBTQ movement. Cause we don't like where it's gone. It's like, no, you've got to abandon the whole thing. Yeah. Exactly. Like that, you have to fa- have full, phase one. Phase one is repentance. what's led to phase one is what has led to this. You can't yeah. just go back to a smaller measure of, the sin or smaller measure of the ideology. We, we've been, yeah. um, this, this movement has been in process for decades since before yeah. we were born. Yeah. E- yeah. Every, all these different cultural factors have been working into it from it's 2015 and fruit, to, to the, you know, the culture and climate that we grew up in when we were in high school and, you know, sexual promiscuity and, you know, heterosexual promiscuity was mainstream yeah, and yeah, encouraged, yeah, you know, absolutely. It, it's just a progression of evil and rebellion against God. And if you don't cut it off at the root with repentance and faith in Christ, you, you yeah. can't, you can't moderate or control sin. It's like trying to control right. fire, um, you know, in a room full of gasoline, you can't do it. Yeah. Um, going back to your point that you mentioned about the rainbow, uh, what that sh- should be a sign for Christians to can't remember exactly what you said. Um, but Kuiper says Christians should look at I, I should have known you pulled a Kuiper quote, <laughs> quote at some point in this. I had a whole lot more that I'm leaving out, <laughs> just so you'd know. But he says this. Um, here's how offended Christians should be in seeing the rainbow used for a false religion. He says every Christian shortchanges the honor of God. When, as the rainbow appears in the clouds, he does not remember the faithfulness of his God and does not recognize in that rainbow the sign of the covenant. He is acting Mm. like the pagans and unbelievers who observe nothing but a necessary phenomenon of nature and a beautiful spectacle. Our God has emphatically testified that as often as he displays the rainbow, rainbow in the clouds, he is our God, and that he would see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. This now lays upon us, the children of men, the duty to do in such moments what God is doing. And from our side, to view the rainbow in a way that remembering the faithful faithfulness of his covenant. Hmm. So we should, That's convicting. Yeah, should That's go good. out of our way to remember the faithfulness of God. But how yeah. hard is it to do that now? Like, w- w- would we yeah. let our children wear rainbow shirts in public right now? It's almost like we want to hide any sort of um, uh, garment of clothing that has the rainbow on it. And, you know, mm-hmm. if we go to Walmart 
and there's not that we'd wear this anyways, but just using this as an example. If there's a cool looking rainbow shirt, a rainbow sticker, we're li- you w- you wouldn't wear a rainbow shirt if LGBTQ was not <laughs> <laughs> probably not. But um, now we don't wear those things for a totally different reason. Yeah, it's like it, when we walk in Target, when we see the rainbow, they're selling rainbow article clo- articles of clothing. We know why they are selling those things because yeah, probably. Yeah. It's been it's been permanently ex- tarnished. I fully expected you to show up this morning in a tie dye rainbow shirt, but <laughs> I'm a little disappointed. Just I just wanted you to know I'm disappointed. It has it, it yes it it has been tarnished and um, stolen. The the rainbow has been stolen for a different use. Now the question I have for you guys, uh, Matt, you said earlier about how talking about it kind of helps men get involved. There's men out there who don't know, who have a conviction of doing, but never really talked about it or considered it because they don't see other people doing it. They don't. Yeah. They wouldn't know where to start. They wouldn't know how to um, do it without uh, them thinking of this way, making a fool of themselves. They're worried about making a fool of themselves. This and that and the other. What would you say to someone who uh, needs advice on how to get involved? in a ministry such as this, street preaching at these Pu- sorts of public environments, evangelism. public evangelism, and public evangelism in such a culture that distorts everything about the rainbow. How, how would you say, what, what would be your advice, what would be y'all's advice and, and your experiences that y- y'all would like to share? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think that um, one thing that, I would encourage, and I think this is just kind of a, a important in general, but I, I think sometimes, you know, we, we need to set the excuses aside, right? And sometimes we'll say things like, well, you know, I don't think I'm called to be an evangelist, or I don't think this is my ministry, um, when, when really the reality is we're just kind of scared. And I know I'm scared often. Um, there's, there's very few times when I go out and do evangelism that I don't have some level of intimidation. You kind of have to, you know, get get in that mentality and that mindset every time you go out. But um, I think, yeah, just recognizing that this is a ministry that each of us as men particularly, you know, I, I've thought about it, and I think I mentioned this to you, Cole, before, that we're, we're at the point in our society where this is not just evangelism and resistance to this religion has many facets. Of course, you know, we desire the conversion of people who are caught up in this. But it's very clear also that the LGBTQ movement is, is very evangelistic and mm-hmm. they're, they're yeah. sometimes more evangelistic than Christians. Um, we see that with the drag drag queen story hour. We see it with the government schools, um, with um, platforms like YouTube indoctrinating children, stuff like that. And so they're coming for your kids. I and mean, then that's just the reality. We as, as dads need to recognize that. And I think part of protecting your family is proactive. It's not just getting yeah. rid of Disney Plus. It's not yeah. just turning off the movie that is, you know, infiltrating your home literally. Yeah. I think you need to be on the offensive. And I think one of the ways that you actively um, protect your children is by pushing back through evangelism, preaching the gospel, preaching the truth. Um, it has so many positive effects. One, it brings the truth to unbelievers. Two, it stirs up people like crazy. There are so many men out there who just they're they're starving to see people stand up. 
and anybody can do that, right? Anybody can be the catalyst in their area, in their church to say, hey, you know, we've had an opportunity to do this and, you know, it's just come about because, um, you know, the Lord has, has given us an opportunity to go out and we're not anything special, right? And so um, I think just boldness and being willing to go out there and, and do it. But, but anyway, going back to the benefits, it, it benefits your family because it, it brings a level of pushback and resistance to something that is going to encroach on you, whether you want it or not. I could probably say more, but any thoughts you that there, Danny? Yeah, the immediate thing I wanted to say was um, uh, any form of evangelism, whether it's uh, trying to uh, push back against the false relig- this this false religion uh, um, that we've been talking about, but any any evangelism or missions or um, gospel ministry starts in the home. It, it starts in the home. That's the first. That's the first mission field. And so, um, now that's not to say, well, uh, labor there and you don't have to worry about everything outside of your home. I'm, I'm agreeing with Matt, but you've got to start. Well, in fact, we're in full agreement. You just got to start with, start in your home, uh, but also, uh, be on the offensive, like Matt was saying. And so, um, you know, something that we've got to take seriously is uh, the uh, evangelization of our own children. And yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, you know, we've got we've got to do that at the same time. We're eva- we're trying to evangelize the kingdom of darkness that's encroaching on encroaching on our homes. Yeah, and not just um, not just evangelism only, but also you know discipleship, particularly in the area of worldview. Yeah, amen. Teach, teaching a yeah. Christian worldview. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's interesting when you talk to people on the street who are LGBTQ. Um, many of them come from Christian backgrounds. Yeah, that, that's the next thing I wanted to um, get to. Yeah. And, and so you know you, you've got to think. I mean, obviously, some of them come from churches that were not solid or of course, you know, whatever. Of course. But even that, I mean. Where, where was one of the, the key errors, aside from the fact that they maybe never even heard the gospel to begin with, they didn't have the worldview foundation to resist the ideology. Right. And so right, right. It, it just came over them like a flood. They didn't have a Christian ethic. Yeah, they, 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 don't, they don't have a chance. And, and, here, and the thing is that many, many young people, children, uh, even teenagers in the church are still like that. And they're just sitting ducks waiting to yeah. get far enough away from their parents' supervision to be able to drink this in firsthand yeah. and they're going to convert too. And so you're exactly right. It's, it comes down to worldview instruction yeah, uh, the, and, and teaching the full counsel of God that, yeah. that applies to every area of life. Sorry. Yeah. The, the, uh, something I've been fascinated by, maybe fascinating is not the right word, but I can't think of a good word for it. Uh, when I've been out with you guys a couple of times is that you'll, you'll be talking to people and there'll be two different people there. Someone who, is is full on outright rejecting God, saying you know there is no God, religion's a myth, all that sort of stuff. And then the, the person next to them or the next person is like, no, I believe in God, and God is God is a God of love, and and He's an accepting God, an inclusive God. Just mm-hmm. like what I know, I know why, I know why and how both of them can be a- out here together under mm-hmm. the same banner, same ideology. I know that, but how in the world can they, <laughs> like, how in the world, uh, how do they, match? how do they, how do they make sense of it? Like, how do they, this is something I'm, 
Yeah. And it's not an intellectual thing. I know that. We've been talking about that. But that's just an aspect that I've always been, uh, like I said, fascinated by or just kind of blown away by. It's just like, what this this makes no sense. Yeah. It's and not an intellectual not, yeah. thing in the sense that, um, you know, people make decisions with their emotions and they're given yeah. over to what they desire. But the lack of solid Christian instruction when it comes to worldview. I mean, you think about most, let's, let's yeah. just think about most kids in youth groups across America today. Right. If you said, okay, you got 30 seconds to respond to the claim. Love is love. Go. Right. How many people are going to be able to give an adequate response? Right. Well, right. Pro- probably not many. Right. And so, I mean, maybe yeah, that was, the, maybe yeah. that was the thing that converted that guy, you know, that hypothetical right. person you were talking right, about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing that, that I, um, uh, I mean, yeah, that's the, that's how we got here, but it's just amazing that, um, uh, at least on the, at least what they say, okay, you're out, you're both out here for reasons. One says they believe in God. One doesn't. One is actually against God. The reason mm-hmm. why they're against God. And the other one is using God as a defense for their immorality. Um, uh, honestly, the second one is probably worse. Uh, the second one yeah. is, is, is worse in, in a lot of ways. Um, uh, but they, uh, if it actually came down to it, I know it does not work this way, but this is the this is just the same thing that I'm, this is why I get just kind of stirred up with it or blown away by it. If it actually, but at the fundamental level, these two shouldn't be getting along out here. These, I mean, there, there's a big difference, or whether you're out here uh, because God approves of this, or you're out here because God does not exist, and we need to prove He does not. We need to prove He does not exist. Or we need to, you know, we need to abandon him, get rid of him, uh, you know, uh, uh, ban him or erase him, as I've seen and heard. Uh, that is a, it's, it's just a fascinating element. It's, it just sh- it just shows you the the, it really is a kingdom of darkness because it makes it it makes no sense. It actually makes zero sense. There's not a, co- there's not a coherent argument or or something to understand about it like okay well i can see that i can i can there's an element of truth there no there's no element of truth there yeah yeah um it's important and uh, genesis 9 is relevant to worldview and teaching your children worldview because without genesis 9 there is no world to view there's no world to live in uh because if there are not these things in genesis chapter 9 that the lord has promised um, then we all become like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not for God's faithfulness to his covenant that he made with the world. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah would be a cosmic event, not just a local event. Um, and when it comes to worldview and our preaching as well, so we preach the gospel because we want to see sinners saved first and foremost. But for me personally, there's also this aspect of it that I'm just, I don't want to see the Lord offended i don't want to see the lord Mm -hmm. mocked and blasphemed and uh i also you know want to go on the offensive and say i am nothing but an ambassador of the kingdom of god in this world and i am a a pilgrim in this world but this is god's world this this world is owned by god and if we're going to go back to um, the sermon we talked about last week sinners in the hands of angry god telling the sinner look the sun is not there shedding its light so that you can use it to sin against God. It doesn't want to serve you in that way. The ground that you stand on does not like being used for your uh, arena to sin in. 
It hates to be used that way. The world wants to vomit you out, but it can't because the Lord is restraining it from doing so. But it doesn't want to see you sin against its creator. And so we go on the offensive and say, look, this is God's world that you're Mm -hmm. using to mock him in. And not only that, you're using his rainbow to do the exact opposite of what he commanded what us to do. What the rainbow represents. Yes. Yeah. Um, very offensive thing for them to do to do that. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you talked about um, Christians need to be offended by this. I, I, I think that's true, and I was actually thinking about that in a little bit of a different context the other day. But I think that our desire to, um, just like the... Um, the decisionism that is common amongst, especially like Baptists, right? Um, the seeker-sensitive mentality has really undermined or maybe even outright destroyed our ability to be offended at unbelievers and to, and to be upset and, and stirred up, provoked in our spirit by you know the flagrant rebellion in our culture because we don't want to offend them, right? If, if I told you that I was offended by you, that's not going to help me with my relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, I think that's something that we need to consider. Yeah, for sure. Well, if I were to if I were to talk about either one of you guys' wives in an offensive way, let's say I even said it's a joke, or if y'all talked about someone talked about my wife, oh, it's just a joke. Would we be okay with that at all? Not at all in the slightest. That pulls out the anger from I'm the most. Choke so you out. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna put me in a guillotine or something, as you should. How much more? should our love be for our God? Not that we're ever going to attack someone, of course. We understand, like, we've been given commands as to how we are to deal with these things, but there's no sort of, like, negative affection that that stirs within our hearts for the one that we should love so much and mm-hmm. the most. Mm-hmm. And we, we overlook it. Oh, it's okay. Um, that, that ought not to be the case. Well, I've been offended by both of you, so let's wrap this thing up. Okay. Um, any closing words? No, I, th- I think that um, these are important things to talk about, and um, I'm encouraged, as, as you guys were just talking earlier, just about the the hunger and the desire. Uh, like Danny was saying, I, I do think there is growing momentum amongst Christians to, to see and mm-hmm. recognize the need for standing up and owning uh, each of our individual contributions in terms of ministry, pushing back against the, you know, the kingdom of darkness and particularly this, this ideology. And so, um, you know, we have every reason as believers to be encouraged and to press on and continue in the work. Yes. Thank you for closing with that. To that point, if you have any questions as to how you can get involved, whether you're local to central Arkansas or not, Feel free to message the Classic Cast on any social media pages. We're, I'm, I'm not you can adver- text Matt Morgard at. <laughs> <laughs> text him at five zero one seven two seven. It's a good thing I don't have a five zero one. It we're not advertising our personal Facebook pages. It's not hard to find us. We don't really try. To, we don't do a good job yeah. of keeping that a secret. Uh, but we want to see you get involved in preaching the gospel in your place in your area. If if you are in Central Arkansas, we have a sizable group that we hope is growing for this work. Um, ask us how to get connected with that group as well. Uh, CD D2 Double M coming at you recording direct from the Classic Cast where we just roll with it. <laughs>